You're listening to the What's With Cancer podcast. This is your host, Mazina, and I'm a certified health coach, life coach, breathwork facilitator, as well as my mom's caregiver. When my mom was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer back in 2019, the doctors told us she probably wouldn't live past two years. But I wasn't willing to give up that easy and I started learning and implementing absolutely everything I could find out from other people that survived this disease. After seeing my mom go through the ups and downs over the years and successfully outliving her prognosis, it made me realize that there's so much more to learn about this and there's so many unanswered questions. And I want to know, what's with the industry telling us that there's no cure when there's been thousands of people that have overcome a terminal diagnosis? What's with the conflicting information that's presented to us about treatment, diet, and lifestyle? And lastly, what comes with a diagnosis? How do we manage the day-to-day things, the hard conversations, the stress, and our social life whenever our entire world has completely changed? There is nothing worse than feeling helpless, overwhelmed, and lost whenever it comes to a serious diagnosis like cancer. And it is my mission to share stories of hope, insight, and truth to help guide you through the unknown times. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you find value in the show. First of all, I just want to say that I am so deeply and beyond honored that you are listening to this podcast. It has been something that has been on my heart, on my mind for a very long time. And when my mom was very first diagnosed back in 2019, I made this pact or this promise to myself, the world, and everyone surrounding me that I would try to share my story and my message as much as possible. So it means the world to me that you are tuning in to this podcast. Um, I guess this is the first episode, so I suppose I should just lay it all out here and tell you guys my story. And it's going to be a bit nitty gritty. I'm going to try to make it as short as possible, but also as detailed as possible. So you can kind of understand where I'm coming from and why this is such a passion project of mine. So let's go back to 2019. It was Remembrance Day weekend and my mom was supposed to visit. She hadn't been feeling well. She'd been sick for months. And I remember getting on the call with her and I told her she sounded like Marge Simpson because her voice was so raspy and we had a good little giggle about that. But I just felt like something was, she was really ill and I just knew she was in a bad place and she had told me that she wasn't happy with her life, etc. And normally she would book a bus ticket, no problem to come visit me because we were just about three and a half hours apart. I lived in Calgary and she was in um, St. Albert of um, Edmonton, just north of Edmonton. And right before she was supposed to come, she called me while I was walking to work and asked me if I could book her bus ticket for her, which was really confusing because she'd done it a hundred times by then. Well, not a hundred, but enough that I'm like, there shouldn't be an issue. And I thought maybe she needed money. I didn't really know what was going on. Totally brushed her off. And the day that she actually ended up getting on the bus, um, I tried calling her and she wasn't answering. She wasn't answering. And I was This wasn't super untypical of my mom, but it was also kind of like causing a bit of anxiety because I didn't really know when her bus was coming. I didn't really know what station she was going to get dropped off at. So I needed to know this information. Um, Anyways, a few hours later, I got a call from her from this number and I was like, that's got to be her. She remembered my number, thank God. And I answered the phone and I'm like, where are you? And she's like, oh, I'm on an adventure. And I'm like, where are you? And she's like, I got off the bus in Red Deer um, to go to the bathroom and And I missed the connection bus to take me all the way to Calgary. So she was in a different city that she was not supposed to be in, which was about an hour and a half away from where we were. 
me and my partner at the time, we dropped everything to drive up to Red Deer to go pick her up. And we were a little like annoyed, of course, like this was super inconvenient. She was supposed to get on the bus. But when I got to the hotel and saw her there, I knew something was really off. She was really distant. She was not making any sense at all. Her motor skills were off. It's almost like she couldn't form a coherent sentence. And the woman looked really confused. She was trying to write down something on a pen and paper. And I thought maybe since she hadn't seen me and I don't even remember how long it had been maybe over a year at that point, I thought she'd be a little bit more excited, but she just looked right through me and it just wasn't my mom. So that weekend was really, um, challenging. I will admit I was really confused at that time. I didn't know she was sick. I knew she had been sick with, you know, coughing and whatnot, and she was not doing well in her life. And I knew she had a lot of toxicity going on in her life and she worked actually everything in her life was pretty toxic. Her diet, her lifestyle, her work, um, a lot of things were toxic. So I knew she wasn't doing well. She wasn't in a good place. But that weekend, there was a lot of little things that had happened. And that really indicated to me that something was really wrong. Like, for example, she was walking around in the living room with no pants on and wasn't really quite aware of it. She was really quiet. She was really tired. She was just, you know, not with it at all. And when she didn't have a phone, I just, you know, suggested that maybe she should get a new phone because she didn't know where it was at all. And I'm like, well, if you were to go home, could you find it? And she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just get you a brand new phone. But when I went to go take her to the mall to go get it, you know, just for example, like she got into the car and forgot to close the door of the car. And when we got to the mall, I didn't realize this. She didn't have her um, like license at all. And they were asking her for a government ID and she worked for the government. So she was trying to give them her working badge uh, for the government ID. And I'm like, no mom, like you need a legal like license, like a photo ID from the government <laughs> issued by the government. Um, and her mannerisms were completely off. Her motor skills were off and she just couldn't process this. This was not something that was coming easy to her. And I was like, wow, she is not my mom. And it was really confusing. And I had no choice. And I'm like, you don't have an ID. You don't have any money. You don't have your phone. And the only place I knew where it was, was at her place back in St. Albert. So I had to send her back on a bus with no phone. I was absolutely devastated when I did that. I was kicking myself. I'm like, I should have drove her, but I didn't have a car. I just felt so terrible. I didn't know what to do with her. And I called my grandmother and I'm like, something's really wrong with mom. And I told her what was going on. And I thought it was early onset Alzheimer's. I was looking up all of the different conditions and stuff like that, trying to like diagnose my mom without knowing what was going on. But I knew something was really wrong. And my grandmother took a big sigh in and said, it sounds like the cancer has come back and spread to her brain. Because my mom had been originally diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2011, she did all the treatment and as far as I was concerned, she was cancer free. We'd never have to think about that again. And in that moment, I was in pure denial. Looking back, um, I had no idea the extent of what was going on and I was just devastated. I remember taking a shower and just falling to the base of the shower and sobbing, just smashing my fist against the ground saying, why the hell didn't you take better care of yourself, mom? 
and I was certain that she was a goner. I messaged her roommate just trying to figure out if she had got home safe because I had no way of contacting her um, and she did and yeah I guess a couple days later after that I we had arranged for my mom to go fly down to PEI to be with my grandmother because I knew she just needed a break from her life as it was nothing was really going well so I just was like you need to fly her down there you need to take care of her to my grandmother so she had a flight booked to go to PEI but the night before she was supposed to fly out her roommate ended up taking her to emerge and that's whenever I got the call that night that my grandmother called me and she told me that my mom was on life support and she believed that they had lost her so I didn't go into a complete tailspin. I, I kind of knew that this was happening, but it was happening really fast. And we went the next day to go see her. I was not prepared to see her conscious whatsoever. I just imagined that she might be in a coma. Like she was just so sick. And she had a tube down her throat whenever I came in there and I had to quarantine completely. This is well before COVID. So I had to suit up and suit down because they didn't know what was going on. I guess there was um, a fluid buildup around her heart so much that it could have filled a pop can and it could have crushed her heart and they had to take her into emergency and drain and like tap her ribs and crack them open and drain the fluid out and she had pneumonia and anyway she just looked horrible and she was miserable and she was writing on this clipboard because you can't talk whenever you have a tube down your throat. And I'm like, wow, I'm so glad to see you alive. And we kind of were talking as much as we could, as, as fast as she could write, really. And I'll never forget, um, on her clipboard, there was <laughs> numbers on it, there, on the piece of paper that she was using. And it said 555 in the corner. And that means big changes in the spiritual meaning of it. And she had written that down. She had written down big changes without even knowing this i mean i noticed those numbers and i knew what it meant but she didn't notice them and circled it and looked at me kind of with bulging eyes being like i've had enough i need to change and in that moment i knew my mom needed to move in with me but i didn't know the diagnosis that was about to come my way and the, one of the nurses kind of was like, yeah, something's wrong. Like she's, there's, she was trying to indicate something, but they can't tell you much. Right. And we thought it was pneumonia. We thought she could come off of the, you know, tube. She was on a breathing tube. She came off the oxygen and we thought we were going to be able to take her home. And the doctors wanted to come and see us. And if you know anything, when the doctor wants to speak to you, it's probably not a good thing, but I was completely oblivious at the time. Whenever the doctor had called me, I was just grateful that my mom was no longer on this big tube and she was able to get up on her own. And anyway, she sat up and the doctor came in and I remember sitting on her bed and she had walked across the room and whenever she was walking I took a picture of her getting out of her bed because she'd been in a, a hospital bed for like a week at that point I guess and I remember taking a picture of her and sending it to my grandmother saying she's walking and my mom was sitting in the chair across the room while I was sitting on her hospital bed when the doctor came in and he explained that they did a CT scan and they tested the fluid that they had drained out of her heart and they had found cancer throughout her entire body really. 
and he started saying all of the major organs that I was in and saying that there's 11 lesions in the brain and there's tumors throughout the chest and the ovary and when he was saying this um, my first initial reaction believe it or not was this deep inner voice I don't even know it was mine or what it was but the first thing that came through my body was it can be healed and as he kept going through the body parts that the cancer had spread to the sickness started setting in and my peripheral vision started really started um, tunnel visualing in and I started feeling sick to my stomach and I guess that's what you call shock and I turned around and looked at the nurses and I'm like can you please get us some water <laughs> like for god's sakes I was about to pass out and my partner at the time all he was standing and he nearly dropped to his knees and I was like sit down um my mom's face was completely blank and she just said that makes sense and I yeah in that moment it's kind of all a blur now at this point because it's been a couple years but when you get that news your whole body your whole world changes and you just want to be strong and you want everything to be okay and you just don't want it to be real you want it to be a mistake because it honestly feels like a sick joke when you get news like that and trauma is anything too much too soon too fast and this was beyond one of the most traumatic events of my life so after my mom's diagnosis they kept her in the hospital for two weeks it was long painful and i hated walking down the hallways and they got me to go get her a walker from the Canadian Red Cross. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, damn it, my mom's 52 years old and she does not need to be in a walker. And I didn't understand. And they got me to sign power of attorney paperwork. And the doctor kept saying, it's such a shame because she's so young. But nobody was telling me my mom's prognosis. No one was telling me that this could be the end. No one was telling me that she was dying and all I wanted to do is just take her home and try to hope to do something to make her feel better. So I loaded up a U-Haul. I sorted through her entire room and drove her across in this big U-Haul um, by myself. <laughs> that was quite stressful, actually. I was not used to a big fan like that. But as soon as I got home, I just started researching like the craziest person you've probably ever seen, if you can just imagine. I was obsessively listening to podcasts. I was just listening to any type of information, grabbing at any type of information I could possibly get. And I came to, to the conclusion that I was going to put her on a keto diet. And I'm sure most of you know what that is, but it is a virtually no carb, high fat and moderate protein diet. Um, and the reason for this is because it has been proven that cancer thrives off of anything that basically spikes your blood sugar levels. So sugar, very carby foods, um, simple carbohydrates, really anything that breaks down in your system quickly and causes an insulin spike has been proven to feed the growth of cancer. So the theory of doing the keto diet is to suppress your, the cancer from its food source. And looking back now, that was perfect for the time 
we were in and perfect for what we needed because as soon as we got back to Calgary, she started doing treatment right away. They did full brain radiation and she started on an oral chemo. But those first few weeks were definitely some of the hardest weeks of my life. My mom was completely dependent on me. She couldn't even dress herself. I had to help her get into her underwear. She needed help showering. She needed help getting up off of the toilet, up off of the couch. So every time she would basically go into a seated position, I'd have to lift her up and she'd have to wrap her arms around me. I had to help her with absolutely everything. She couldn't zip up her boots. It was literally the only thing that she could really do for herself for the most part was basically feed herself. And even that was a struggle because she was choking on all sorts of things. Actually, the day that she was discharged, I was literally going to pick her up and we put her in a wheelchair, got all of her belongings together, and she was taking her medication. It was a T3 and she went to go take it and she completely choked on it and her face went beet red. She couldn't breathe and she actually passed out. She went unconscious and I don't know how, and they weren't doing anything. I screamed. I was like, you have to do something. It was the most horrible thing. So she was constantly choking on things were just getting lodged in her throat. Um, luckily she never got to the point where she ever like needed me to do anything. It just would get stuck and she'd have a bit of a fit and oh my gosh, so much. It was just always so traumatic for me and that I was in pure survival. And right around then is whenever I actually had enrolled to become a breathwork facilitator, probably two weeks before my mom was diagnosed. And I remember whenever I first enrolled to do this, I was like, I have no idea why I'm doing it. But once I was going through this process with my mom, I did breathwork almost every morning. I would wake up at 6 a.m., go out to the couch and just breathe. And I promise you, it is the only thing that kept me together while I was going through all of that because no one really knew how to help me. I didn't really know how to ask for help. Um, It was really interesting. I felt like people were trying to, one, give me space, but also just so lost for words. So they didn't say anything. And that really made me feel even more alone. And I almost felt like I was burdening people just by having a burden. I didn't want to burden anyone by talking about it. So, um, that's definitely something that's going to come up in future podcasts of what to do for someone, because it's really important. I needed so much support then, but I didn't know how to ask for it. And all of this had continued for so many months. It was really hard. Uh, each night I would say goodnight to my mom and I would say, I'll see you in the morning. And I had no idea if I actually would see her in the morning every time I said that. And she has had a chronic cough for two years now. And each morning she would just, I just pray that she'd cough so I could hear her. And things were one thing after another with medication not working or giving her side effects or the vomiting and the awful noises and the just in the middle of the night she'd come and wake me up and she'd say see see and that was her way of saying my name my name's you know my name's too long for her she was just so exhausted and something would be wrong and you know she had sores in her mouth she had reactions from the chemo and her heart rate at one point was at 133 resting and when COVID hit she actually was coughing faster than she could breathe at one point so I actually had her admitted into the hospital right when the pandemic had started yeah it was a long few first months like that went on for a while where it was just 
always like we were just on the verge of death at all times. Um, and I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy, but then she started getting better. And right around then is whenever I took her off the keto diet, it just wasn't working for us anymore. I'll probably do another episode going into detail why that was. And she started taking different supplements. I started learning more. I think that's whenever I started putting her on the AHCC supplement. She joined a group that did brain rewiring. And I think we did the Joe Tippins, um, protocol right around then. So I was just starting to learn certain things and that's whenever things start turning around really quickly. Actually, she started walking on her own without the walker. We were able to send the walker back. Then she started going upstairs. And the one thing that I noticed about her was her determination and I guess her unwillingness to accept her diagnosis because whenever she was diagnosed, they told her that, you know, they told us, they're like, yeah, this is very treatable, but it is not curable. Ugh. And when you get that, that news, my heart just dropped. But I honestly, in my head was like, you'll, we'll see about that. You know, I'm just, I'm so defiant in that way where I'm like, why, why should we make this a, a set thing? What, what, what makes it any harm to challenge the odds? And, you know, when she was leaving that appointment, she's like, I didn't know I was dying. I'm like, don't you dare ever let anyone take your power out of your hands because this is ultimately your decision and you get to decide if you stay alive or not and you can prove them wrong. And everyone's just humans. They can't make that prediction. All doctors are just humans. Yes, they've seen it and they have their experience and it is definitely their duty to give us the heads up and not give us any false hope. But at the end of the day, it's your decision. So she was determined and she would walk and she would try and she would push herself and she'd be like, let's go for a walk. And at the very beginning, it was just, can we get down to the corner of the street, which was maybe 10 feet. Then it turned into a block and then a block turned into 15 minutes and then 15 minutes turned into 20 minutes and so on and so forth. And eventually we started walking more and, um, our saving grace, I think is because we moved, out to an apartment that was outside the city, but it was right by all of nature. And there was a walking um, path behind our apartment. Like it was the nicest place and oh, nature is definitely healing and God is so good. But I think that was the biggest thing. We started going outside, just doing more. Um, I got her to watch documentaries, the heal documentaries, a great documentary. I switched her over to, um, we started using the living kitchen cookbook and things started going really well for us. She started, um, her weight started kind of managing that well because she was losing so much weight really quickly. She had lost like 20 pounds in two weeks at one point. It wasn't good. And things started looking up for us. And I was like, damn, everything we're doing right now is working. We are doing breath work every morning and all that stuff. And she actually got discharged from palliative care. So end of life care had been in our house a couple times earlier in the year of 2020. And I was like, oh my gosh. And when they gave me their card, it said end of life care. And I'm like, my gut was just, I was just gutted. I'm like, this can't be, this can't be it. And so a couple months later when she was discharged from palliative care, I was just on cloud nine. I was honestly like, Oh my gosh. And I got a video of this nurse coming into our apartment saying this never happens. You won the lottery and she'd never seen it in her entire career. 
And she's like, usually the only time people get discharged is if they die. So we were doing something right. Something was going well. And I knew that I was onto something. So after those first five intense months, that's when everything started to go back to normal. I was able to go back to working as a health coach, doing and taking on clients and doing programs. And it was awesome. So for that whole year of 2020, I felt like I, you know, we were going to overcome this thing. There's just one small problem and it was the chemo side effects. She's still on an oral chemo and it just, I can't even really go into detail, but just little things would happen. And I didn't really feel like the oncologist, not like it's all her fault or anything like that. It just was, there was a lot that was dismissed and not really resolved and, you know, kind of maybe uh, just brushed off. And that was accumulating over time. And we knew that that was going to be a problem. So all of 2020 was pretty good health wise. 2021, whenever it came to the new year, I got signs from the universe. So I'm very tapped in spiritually. I am very much so a believer of source energy. I'm kind of a bit woo woo, whatever you want to call it. But regardless, I started getting these signs from the universe. I believe in angel numbers. And I started seeing the number 69 everywhere. And most people, they think of a different thing whenever they think of 69, but I did a little of research into it and it could mean a couple different things. You know, um, some of them are really nice, but the one that made me go into denial right away was the part where it said you're ignoring something in your family or your home life or whatever it was. And I had been focusing a lot on my career, my job, my clients, my programs at that point. And when I read that paragraph, my first initial reaction was, was no, there's nothing wrong with your mom. And that made me realize that there might be something there that I'm, you know, trying to avoid that I'm trying to ignore. I'm trying to pretend isn't real, but intuitively I know that that was it. So I got this book, um, from someone that knew me and I had been hanging on to it for, since my mom was diagnosed, it actually got sent to me and it was called cancer outside the box, I believe. And I picked up that book and what I read in those pages changed everything I believed about the industry, the cancer industry. And it made me question the therapies and how effective they were and why the industry hadn't changed for over 50 years, yet everything else seemed to be advancing. And it made me realize that at late stage, whenever you're late stage cancer, it's pretty chemotherapy isn't really effective. I'll just be honest. It's about as effective as a sugar pill. And that didn't sit well with me. And it made me really um, confused, upset, mad, angry, all of the things. And it made me want her to stop chemo because if you saw the side effects that it caused, I just felt like, man, her life would be a lot better. She'd have better quality of life without, you know, experiencing and suffering through all of these side effects that are what they're not even necessary. And that's whenever I came to the realization that if the chemo isn't doing as much as we thought, 
then one, what's the point and why are we putting this toxicity in her body to need to metabolize and deal with? And two, what if it's the natural therapies that are working? And what if we found a more intense natural therapy? Because at that point, I was just playing a guessing game. And that's, you're playing with fire. You're dancing with the devil when you're doing that because you are just testing death at any point. And if you've experienced cancer, you know how fast things can change. And when I started talking about going down to Mexico and getting alternative care and treatment from a facility, people thought I was a little crazy. They were like, wait, isn't your mom doing amazing? Isn't she doing great? And I'm like, yes. And that's the point because I don't want to wait until she's not doing good to find out that I should have done something differently. Because when you're looking at the data, chemo doesn't do anything. It it guarantees that you're going to die right? It just extends your life by what, a couple months. And here, if we go to a facility, maybe you boost your chances by a little bit. And I was willing to do anything to get better odds than what chemo was offering at the time. Yeah, it was tough. It was a tough decision to make, but I knew deep down in my being, this is something I always ask myself is what will I regret more? And I knew if I didn't look into this, if I didn't make this happen, if we didn't do something drastic, then I would regret not trying. I would regret just giving up and giving in to whatever, like what we have been led to believe. I just refuse to allow that. So we started looking at facilities and we started a fundraiser to go down to Mexico for alternative treatment so my mom could get off of chemo. And we did. We went down to a facility called Sonavive in Mexico for three weeks. In my entire experience of being with my mom the last couple of years, those three weeks, she was never more buoyant, more joyful, more alive. She was just so bright. And that place was hands down the most magical place I have ever been in my entire life. I have a YouTube video on YouTube kind of outlining it a little bit so it can give you a visual of our story of how we went down there. It was amazing. They did so many different treatments. It was intense from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. She was in intensive treatments or, you know, maybe more gentle treatments. It's not like hardcore every single day. It's very gentle, very, very holistic. Um, I can't really go into too much detail because I don't want to eat up a lot of time on this podcast, but definitely check out that YouTube video. I'll link it in the show notes below. Highly recommend it. And yeah, so after we went down to Mexico for three weeks, we did the whole fundraiser. We traveled in the middle of a pandemic also, um, very crazy. And we got back and, you know, my mom was kind of like, she said something. She's like, "Uh, oh, you know, you go to Mexico and you kind of expect everything to just magically disappear and be good again. And of course, this was not the end of our journey just yet. And 
my mom was kind of still struggling with the swallowing, the choking, the coughing and stuff like that. This had been an ongoing thing since she'd been diagnosed. So it's almost like things would get stuck and lodged in her esophagus and she couldn't swallow and she'd need to spit up. That was not really something that got resolved. But when we were down in Mexico, they found out that her esophagus was a lot smaller than it should have been. So there was a stricture in it, but unfortunately we couldn't do anything in San Aviv, um, in Mexico before we left because they literally found out like the day before we were about to go and we could have stayed, but we figured we might as well just go back to Canada and get it dealt with there. So they did do that. They, um, got her esophagus kind of stretched out where they put a balloon down there and that didn't really resolve the issue. But then something absolutely unimaginable happened and it really threw us off. I think just about a month after we got back home, um, this is actually really interesting side note here is I was just posting a video on TikTok, and this TikTok video actually went viral. I think I have over a hundred thousand views on it of me and my mom's journey, just like this short clip and of how she's been doing so well. And you won't even believe the irony of it because I hit send on that TikTok and it was just one of those eerie days where you're just almost like, I, I can't explain it. You just know something bad's going to happen. And I remember I was in the kitchen. My mom was just on the laptop and she usually plays poker and she always looks out the window because we lived by the hospital. That was, I did that also by design because it was, you always, I always needed a quick access to the hospital in case anything were to happen. So there was a star, um, helicopter. So the rescue helicopter would always fly over our apartment and she loved looking out to it and sending a prayer to whoever's getting saved. And I remember sitting in, uh, I was always in the kitchen, just standing in the kitchen and I looked over and her head had completely lashed to the left. And first I thought she was looking out to see the helicopter, but then I realized her neck was stuck and she couldn't move. And her hand went upwards in a way that I ran over to her. My partner at the time was yelling her name, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, are you okay? And she went into a full seizure and, um, that was awful. I told him to call 911. And she seized for at least five minutes. We were on the phone with 911 for 10 minutes. Everything was a blur. I was just telling her it's okay. Her eyes were rolling everywhere and her lips, her, she was looked like she was basically, her face was kind of like pulled back and just tensed and her hands were, she was gripping her um, glasses so hard that she almost broke her glasses. I had to pry them out of her hand while she was convulsing. Um, I know this is so detailed. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot and I was kind of calm and collective and just trying to soothe her and trying to talk her through it and just telling her mom, just breathe while she was basically vibrating and thrashing around on this chair. And then the blood started coming out of her mouth and she stared straight through me like she was dead. And I thought to myself, shit, this is it. She's gone. And I don't know what to do in the moment that she dies. So the paramedics came and she just started breathing and it was the most traumatic thing ever. And that's whenever she went to the hospital for the third time. 
and they did scans on her brain and they found out that the cancer had grown on her brain and they wanted to do a second round of brain radiation and my initial reaction although I had you know my opinions about conventional treatment was kind of calm and was like sure let's just do radiation but I didn't speak a word this was not really my place and that's been something I've tried to practice this entire time with my mom is not being too much of a persuasive voice to her I want to make sure that she always makes her own decisions so I just kept my mouth shut although she did know my beliefs and my opinions on it and we decided to do the second round of brain radiation right before she left to go back across Canada and that took a really big toll on her and it set us back quite dramatically her hair fell out again and it actually hasn't grown back completely since then it's grown a little bit but that was back in june of 2021 that she had the radiation it was just it was just so like a big slap in the face we'd worked so hard she had already had a full head of hair and she was doing so great and we'd gone to mexico and then we come back and all of this started happening and i just felt like everything was falling apart and I just had to keep telling myself this is part of it and this is part of the journey and it's not always going to be easy and I can't expect just because we went to Mexico to wave a magic wand and everything's going to be better. It's not like that at all. So anyway, she did the brain radiation that took a huge toll on her. Basically, before I knew it, we were shipping her off. When I say shipping, I mean we flew her out to um, PEI because me and my partner agreed that if she were to take a seizure while we're driving across Canada, it just wouldn't be safe. And at least on the plane, it would be safer for her to be with, um, you know, maybe paramedics on the plane or whatever. So we flew her down and she stayed with my grandmother. I didn't see my mom for five weeks at that point. And I was kind of calm, cool, and collective about it, but knowingly knew that it probably wasn't the best thing. My mom hadn't really been apart from me for the entire time I was caring for her. And a lot of people say it and I kind of brush it off when they say, you're the reason your mom's still alive, but I probably am. I really am. I know that I did all of the research and all of the cooking and I did a lot of the legwork to keep her where she is. So I didn't see her for five weeks. And when I got back to the island after Um, because I stayed in Calgary for an extra month just to tie up loose ends, then driving across the country. And then I stayed in Ottawa for a little bit. Then I came back and you have to quarantine because of COVID. And anyways, when I got back to the island, I didn't see her for five weeks and she, the nodes in her neck. So you can actually see the cancer coming um, out of the surface. So underneath the skin, obviously, but it's under on her neck and it protrudes out. And I swear to you, the cancer had doubled and she looked frail and ill and not well and that's whenever she wasn't able to eat at all she wasn't able to keep anything down and the esophagus problem had gotten worse although they had done a procedure to stretch it out it didn't help anything and she was just spitting up everything even water so she's staying with me for maybe a week before I just couldn't tolerate it anymore I think it's actually 10 days and I knew that that's whenever someone goes into dehydration a human body cannot not drink for 10 days that's whenever you get severely dehydrated and you can die so i took her into the hospital and they put her on liquids just to be able to get her hydration up and 
it just kept persisting and the noises that were coming from my mom and the choking and the coughing and just not able to eat anything at all was horrifying, like horrifying noises that I couldn't even bear. I almost felt numb just hearing it and watching it and seeing it. And I couldn't get over how sick she was. And she had actually dropped down to, she was comfortably whenever she was in Mexico, 120 pounds. I think that was a good weight for her because she's only five foot two and she had dropped below a hundred pounds. She got to 99 pounds and me and my grandmother took her to emerge again and we sat out in the car out in the parking lot and we prayed in front of the hospice place because we pulled in there just to talk to them to see if we should take her there instead of emerge. And if you don't know what hospice is, it's a facility that you take your loved one to when they're on their final days and they don't want to die at home. And we prayed in the parking lot um, that she would find her way, that whatever were to happen would be God's plan and it would be perfect as it is. And in that moment, I just had this thing. I was like, no, this is not it. This cannot be the way she goes. And they had actually found pneumonia. And for most people, if you're aware of um, late stage cancers or anyone that has a terminal illness, pneumonia is usually the thing that takes someone out. So I was faced with that. And every single hospital visit, whenever someone has a terminal illness is that question of, is this going to be the last time? Because every time someone goes into the hospital in that state, you don't know if they're going to come out. Luckily, they were able to put her on some nutrients just for the time being. They actually had to feed her through an IV kind of sort of style um, of getting nutrients and she was not looking good. And I prayed a lot during that time. I would go to bed thinking about it. I'd wake up thinking about it. It's all I thought about. And I would talk to the universe, God, source, energy, whatever you want to call it, um, and say, if she gets through this, if there's some miracle that moves her past this, I promise I will share my story. And we got her out of the hospital. She spent another two weeks in. So that was her fourth visit to the hospital. And they decided to put a stent in basically to expand out the esophagus so she's able to eat. And she came home and it took her a little while to recover. And that was back in September, late September of 2021. And since then, she has pretty much come on a full recovery. She's been better than ever. Uh, we started her on a completely new supplement regime. I got her um, a water machine, a Kongan water machine that iodizes the water. And then we went plant-based, completely plant-based. And since then, I am blown away at how amazing she's been doing. She no longer gets sick. She is eating. Her appetite's amazing. She barely even takes naps anymore, even on chemo days. So she does take chemo again. But since then, it's been really good. And I feel like I have my mom back. They gave her a prognosis of about two years. And that was back in November of 2021. And she just celebrated her 55th birthday. Um, on January 2nd. And I remember thinking to myself, whenever she was turning 53, I was certain that was going to be her last birthday. And then she hit 54 and 55. And it's 
I'm in this place now where I believe that she can continue on and she can continue to heal because I've seen how powerful this is. She's outlived her prognosis. And as you can see, just through these last couple years, we've gone through some insane highs and lows. But right now, the cancer is shrinking. She's been, she's not on any medication other than the chemo. So she doesn't take any prescription drugs like at home whatsoever. She has gained a lot of weight. She just went up to 110 pounds. She did drop down to 94 pounds there at one point when she was still recovering from getting the stent in. And it has been a full 360, 180 turnaround. And she's she's really recovered quickly in like the last couple months. And I'm truly just in awe of the ability of what the body can do and the perseverance that she has and the mindset. And I don't think that it's coincidence. I don't think that this is woo woo or crazy or a miracle. Like this is something that can be learned and taught. And looking back on it, there's so many things I wish I would have known and done earlier. And that is why I wanted to start this podcast to be able to support people with more knowledge of what to do to enhance the quality of life, extend someone's life, or overcome a diagnosis that seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel because that is not true. There is so many people on Facebook groups that I'm in that are celebrating their survival, their like remission, their no evidence of disease every day. And I just have this crazy feeling within me that shit, she can beat this. And I've never allowed myself to give up hope. That initial feeling, that initial thought that came through my being, I've held on to that this entire time. And I always think, why not? Why not her? Why not you? Why not someone that you know that you love? And I want to bring on survivors and I want to keep learning because I have so much to learn. Actually, the intro song to this podcast is named Still Learning. That's the name of the song is literally Still Learning. So I think that this is a beautiful place where I've come to, where I'm completely relaxed at ease and I'm no longer in survival mode. I'm in this place where I can trust and surrender to everything. And I want to share that with you. Because I know how hard it is when you never know how to deal with these things when they come up. And I believe that I've learned so much over the last couple years to be able to support you through the darkest days that you feel like no one understands what you're going through and you feel like you have no support around you and you're just grasping for or grabbing for anything, any sort of solution or someone that just can kind of somewhat understand you. I want to be that resource for you and I want to make this podcast something that you feel safe to come to and feel safe to ask questions. I know I'm about at the 45 minute marker here and our attention span kind of dissipates after this, but I hope that this story illustrates to you that it's not always going to be easy but I will be damned if it's not possible. There's too many people out there with this diagnosis of cancer that are not dying from it when they should be. So 
that is why I'm going to continue to learn, expand, and grow. And as I learn, you get to listen in on everything while simultaneously learning how to manage your day-to-day -day life because this is something that I would have died to have access to when my mom was first diagnosed and really for the last couple years. And I don't see it anywhere, so I decided to make it. So I hope you subscribe, I hope you leave a review, I hope you reach out and send me a message, DM me on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you can find me. I am always here for you. You are so supported and you are so loved. Thanks for listening.